What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Coburn Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about what's new in music, from Little Nas X and the return of Satanic Panic to Bieber's Justice album and new Lana Del Rey. We hope you enjoy it. If you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the show. So I'm back here with my co-host, the one, the only, Joe Lewis, Cabo Dennis. How you doing, Kyle? Good. I've been hitting the punching bag because uh, I'm feeling a little too glandular, and it's not feeling so much as just being too glandular. So it's been good. I've been like you know working on the hooks, you know doing good the the right hook for all you Trailer Park Boy fans. It's been great. I feel good. Uh, how you doing, Coburn? I'm not doing too bad. How's your How's your uppercut coming though? That's That's the one punch that is uh, underrated. I'd say. Okay, so um, as a person who played Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter a lot as a child, and uh, by as a child I mean uh, b- before this podcast, uh, you got to work on that close range uppercut because you can really like get the chin there too. But like I haven't adopted the full sore you can yet, so like that is a work in progress, and we are going to master it. I promise you. You you keep at that. You keep on that, and uh, we will be back with updates on that on the next episode of this podcast. This is really going to be a low key boxing podcast by the time we're done. Yeah, pretty much. This is where, this is where we're, we're pivoting. Yeah. So this week, we're going to be talking about pop, everything pop music. How are you feeling about pop music these days, Kyle? Well, I mean, here there is some encouraging signs culturally, some signs that are uh, terrible, and then some signs that are also very good. Uh, I mean, pop is really interesting these days. Uh, there's a lot of r- really quality music coming out, and... I feel like we're in a kind of a nice little area where, you know, pop artists are really considering themselves uh, from an artistic standpoint, whether it's through just the music, but through videos. And I, I feel it feels like a, like a lot about the like the um, the late 80s, early 90s in terms of that right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel kind of. It's kind of surprising to me, too, because of this, like, you know, quarantine the whole pandemic that we've been in. Um, if you're hearing this from the future, hopefully there's a cure. Um, but there's been a lot of pop music coming out and a lot of hype around pop music. And I don't, I didn't think pop music would be the music that would speak to this kind of era or this like, you know, pandemic, but I'm surprised at like, you know, the heights it's what, at which it's going. And the fact that people are really interested in pop music and, even if it's not really like commenting on what's going on, it's kind of a nice distraction. I think people are finding. I think also it's a tonal situation as well. So, pop music is you know it's there's a glitter there's a glitter to it. Um, it's present. It's um, happy. It's not overtly sophisticated. I, I apologize if these are generalizations. It's just with. The quarantine and all that, I mean, you saw this with folklore, it's almost like it's forcing people to be introspective and work in within a certain tone. And I, I think that's done wonders for pop music because it, like it's it's almost like it's taken it and forced it to force it to look in on itself in a good way. So that it's good to see. I'm wondering too, if like all these acts are kind of jumping in front of everything now, so, that when touring does open up, you know, they're all viral, vi- viable for touring, right? Like they're all going to be able to have 
releases that you know have come in the last like six months or you know eight months and fans will be kind of clamoring to go to these shows because they've been you know showing approving so much during this lockdown period i definitely think there's like a pressure valve with people wanting to go to shows like i'm feeling it now i just bought dinosaur junior tickets in the hope that it actually happens in september but the only thing I'm wondering is, is, you know, will there be like, I want to see Taylor Swift tour on folklore. I want to see Lana Del Rey tour on chemtrails. So I, I, it's, it's good, but I also don't want to see the moment of these albums pass. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I also wonder too, what some of these tours are going to look like because are they going to be, you know, huge stadium tours again, or, or are artists going to try and figure out, you know, ways to gear the music down or is most of the stuff going to live at festivals? Because I'm wondering, like, by September, are people going to be wanting to be in these huge venues? Like, I saw, like, some concert footage from uh, a club in Madrid, I believe it was, where, like, a lot of people, I think they had, like, you know, 5,000 people in a venue or maybe more, um, and everyone's wearing masks and stuff like that. I'm like, I I don't know if I, like, I'm if I want to go do that, but I also don't know that I want to be in a, that large of a stadium without a mask now. Yeah. I think I'm wondering how much of it is like almost like institutionalization from being in quarantine and just having an averse opinion about being around a lot of people. Although that was the norm. I don't think I'd be down for that right now yet. Um, and I mean, wearing masks, I mean, if I'm going to be in a crowd with that many people, I want it to be a situation where I'm not wearing a mask, you know, like, I don't like, I want it to be like, let's get vaccinated and get back to it. Yeah. And like, I, I definitely want to be like back to normal. And I, I don't know when that normalcy is going to come if ever. Uh, and that kind of concerns me, but you know, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, how touring takes shape after this and, and what in which direction is going to go. It's definitely going to be interesting. I think outdoor festivals, too. Uh, there's going to be a lot more leaning on them, too, because, you know, it's ventilated. You're outside. It's less dangerous in a situation where there's a bunch of people and a bloody global pandemic happening so i'm wondering what that's going to be like i'm wondering also what is the nature of touring going to be like what is the nature is it going to be more intimate maybe it benefits in a certain way because i prefer more intimate shows rather than these like huge stadium situations i mean obviously you go to them if that's what the tour or the size of the artist demands but i i i enjoy going to danforth music hall and you know being with a few you know a select few hundred people to enjoy something at, you know, close range. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm looking forward forward to that too. I'm looking forward to being, you know, amongst people. Um, and I'm like hearing my favorite artists perform. I wonder if there's going to be a lot more destination based shows for people, because I'd imagine with the, the amount of pop stars that are putting in music out, the amount of everyone else that's putting music out um, and the year that we're kind of facing in music, if, there'll be a lot of joint tours that are kind of like, okay, well, you want to go see this person. They're going to be touring with these people and it's going to be like an unmissable tour. Like, you know, like you look at Silk Sonic at their release and, you know, Bruno Mars and Angie and Pack. like imagine that tour, you know, and imagine like, who are they going to put on opening acts for that? Like, it's going to be huge. Yeah. And it kind of is a weird amalgamation of audiences because Bruno Mars, you know, does well with the older crowd whether they're 40, 50 year olds, you know, uh, you know, your, your moms, if you will. And Anderson Pack is, I mean, 
he's one of the you know one of the best artists out there right now and he's very popular and he's all over the place and he's turning up on all sorts of albums doing features and you know i i, I thought this was interesting that they did that it's it's a very 70s throwback in kind of the best way i would like to hear the entire album but um I, like that for example would be a really interesting amalgamation of audiences and a massive massive tour because then all of a sudden are we getting any of the solo stuff coming in you know yeah, and like, you know, Andrew Pack's like an amazing live drummer. Bruno's a dancer. There's going to be so much craftsmanship, so much showmanship on that. You, I, like, I don't think you put that record together without the intention of touring. So, and those are some of the, like, you know, Bruno Mars is one of the biggest touring acts in the world right now. So he definitely has something planned. There's definitely like an idea for this going forward. It's built for a big stage. That tour is built for a, a very large stage. And then, you know, you have The weekend who sold countless amount of tickets for his upcoming tour and you know just the super bowl so it's gonna be it's gonna be tight on the on the wallet i think for the next little bit yeah absolutely so let's get into some stuff that came out uh fairly recently i think i want to start with little nas x who dropped his montero video last week um montero you know call me by your name it's his first single in recent memory um he kind of gave us an ep last year obviously a huge star with old town road you know one of the best guys on the internet he is just he just is a master of of using it for self-promotion and for engaging with fans so this video i would say is probably you know a different a little bit of a change in direction for him maybe a bit leaning more into himself the song title is uh his his first name montero and it alludes to the 2017 film Call Me By Your Name. I'd say the video is like completely and unabashedly queer. Uh, something that I haven't really seen before from a pop star of his status right now. Um, the scene, the video features scenes of him pole dancing into hell, which sent a lot of people into a tizzy over the past week. What did you think of the song? What did you think of the video? Okay, disclaimer, I don't like the song and I like... I, I'm not really into Lil Nas X from a musical standpoint, but I applaud him from getting out there and doing something completely original. I like him. I like what he, you know, what he tries to represent. And we see the same fucking videos over and over and over again. And this has a very clear vision and it's something completely out there. First of all, I want to know how much it costs, especially for like hair, like makeup and costume, because like this felt to me more like, from just a size and grandeur point of view, just like a, an older video where they were getting enough, the, you know, the big budget. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I thought, I thought this was really good. I thought it was um, original. I'm not a big fan of his work, but I hope he keeps doing this because I'm not the audience, but there's people who love it. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a video that has this intense makeup and costume design. And I haven't seen one in a while that's had it. So, like, it was good, uh, for, you know, overall. And uh, it was really cool that, you know, he put it out. So do you think this little Nas X is somewhat of a breakthrough in pop music for just how unabashedly himself he is? Uh, there's no kind of whitewashing of it. He's there. He's, you know, very out. He's in himself. We watched pop acts kind of come up against this in the past. You know, you think of like the closeted ones like Lance Bass, Jonathan Knight, Ricky Martin. But this is a, a young boy or a young man rather who is 
very sure of himself, very out there and, you know, unafraid of, of some of the backlash that like, you know, pop stars of the past might have been kind of afraid of. What do we think about, you know, this uh, pop's kind of relationship with queer spaces? I mean, like the artists you mentioned, like Lance Baths and Jonathan Knight, I mean, and Ricky Martin. I mean, these artists have, you know, massive amounts of pressure put on them. And I can't fathom the amount of pressure they face when their persona is like tied to being heterosexual and marketed to teenage girls. And, you know, when your sexuality gets marketed, you know, you become less of yourself. And, um, you know, I, I think that Lil Nas X, you know, should be commended for this i think this is absolutely a breakthrough in pop music because like even someone you know george michaels comes to mind you know he kind of just went for it in his career but i mean he didn't come out until after the whole incident in beverly hills where he got arrested you know and he didn't face the you know face the intersectionality that lil nas x faces you know, uh, George Michaels was very closeted during Wham, and then there was speculation, and then, you know, he kind of lamented the death of his partner, who, you know, pushed him to kind of be out and be, you know, unafraid of it, but it was still something that was difficult for him because of the industry and the society we were in, especially at the time, and this kind of all went away again after, the, you know, the incident in Beverly Hills, uh, where... You know, he did this video, I think the song is called Outside, uh, basically this whole video, which was him coming out and he was very unabashed about his sexuality, but it took 20 years of his career, more than that, maybe it was, yeah, about 20 years of his career for that to take place. So the fact that Lil Nas X is doing this already and is unafraid and is willing to market it, I think this is absolutely something that is a sea change in the way pop music works from a sexuality standpoint and this is what i like about him i like him i like that he is fearless with that because there's a lot of backlash you know and i think being not being afraid of that is something like i can't even fathom the courage that it takes because like i have no idea what that's like you know i'm just kind of unabashedly me because i have the luxury and uh, privilege to yeah, and I think I think that is like a really good point. And it's like, you know, we've had queer artists in music forever. We always will have queer music with us. But to see it kind of performed in this way, which is, you know, very in front, there's not, you know, the kind of things that had to be done in the past of people questioning. And I think it to me it speaks of some progress. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's not the be all and end all, but I do think it matters. And I do think that in his own right, he's an icon. He is doing something that we don't really see, you know, much people do in, in the space. He is a young pop star. He, you know, has hip hop leanings. You know, we watched Frank Ocean, um, come out when he, he dropped that letter. And I think we're seeing an evolution of that in pop culture here with Little Nas X. Again, his letter to himself, I, I really, you know, found it quite moving. Yeah. I like a lot of what's happening here and what he's doing. So the, I think everything around the song, like the letter, the way that he is dancing in the video, um, the fact that, you know, he's being able to be portrayed and marketed like this, it feels like a bigger moment to me than the song itself. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be listening to that song that much anymore. Yeah, same here. That's what it, what it kind of mean in that. 
you know, I the, I don't like full on don't like the music. I didn't like old time old town road, but I think people overlook first how important it was when Frank Ocean just kind of came out there because he's right in the middle of it. He at that point he was a massive massive star with a lot of influence who is doing appearances with Jay-Z, he's doing stuff with Kanye West, you know what I mean? And like the fact that he went out and did that, you know, it's I can't even imagine what it's like to be a gay person in popular music and just in society in general. But, you know, those kind of things are fucking super important watershed moments. And I think this takes it another step further because he is unabashed about it. And he's listen, at the end of the day, as an artist, you have to market yourself. Right. And he's putting himself out there. And I think that, you know, like as kitschy as sometimes as I feel the music is, he will be you'll look back at him and 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 see a person who was a trailblazer yeah and i think that's i think that's what's most important about what, what we're witnessing here and i think it you know like like we said like even more than the music so you know he's not really a stranger to controversy there was a lot of hoopla that came with old town road there was him pushing the mold of country music him not being you know awarded in that genre uh you know there's some issues of race there a few other things like like that. Um, so now he's facing a lot more controversy over the imagery used in the video with the dancing devil and him giving Satan a lap dance. We're getting, you know, he's hearing it from mega church pastors, former NBA player Nick Young, or I don't know if he's even still in the league anymore. Joiner Lucas, you know, a fellow rapper. Would you say he's boring a page from kind of Lady Gaga here in her like second era when she was, you know, wearing meat dresses and doing a lot to kind of bolster her persona publicly? Well, first off with the Old Town Road thing and like we just had our talk about the Grammys, uh, PS Watch It, uh, sorry, listen to it. It's uh, last week uh, and we talked a lot about, well, the weekend like how is that not like what is the rubric for getting an award or being nominated for the award if he's not in and then old town road is a perfect example of that because he kind of bucks two trends this you know the idea of the white country artist the white heterosexual country artist that still kind of like dominates that industry but you know old town road was the biggest country song how the like it was one of the biggest songs of the year so how did it not receive any love so my thoughts are completely that it's a matter of racism and what people's perception of what a country artist is um in terms of the controversy in the lady gaga thing yes i don't think that uh i i, I think it doesn't say anything about his sincerity that he is doing this and he is provoking and he is marketing himself because just like Lady Gaga did, it was authentically her. You know, she found a way to turn who she is and what she believes into a marketable commodity and he's doing the same thing. So if these people are giving him crap, then I mean, okay, well, what does a mega what does a mega church do? If I'm a mega church, I mean, at the end of the day, fuck the mega church pastors because you know, they're taking religion and people belief and need for salvation and corrupting it and marketing that this guy's just marketing who he is so you tell me what is more you know authentic and whatnot you know what i mean i think whether you like the music or not you should celebrate what he's doing and what he stands for because all these people 
uh, who are giving him a hard time. I do not know what they stand for. Yeah, I think that's that kind of is a gist of it. I think people are kind of looking for something to be outraged by and, you know, they're going to find it. And, you know, he is now that person for them. And I think he knows that and he feeds into that. He's like, you know, so effortlessly good at the Internet. He is very good at, you know, making light and making jokes of of his, uh, you know, detractors. And so I think these people are kind of fighting a losing battle because he's you're not going to like win the Internet versus, uh, you know, what is he like 22 years old? He's born in 1999. Like he grew up on the Internet. Like you guys are just like learning, still learning how to do it. Yeah, he's he understands this. He understands the game and he's super fucking smart. You know, like he really like even just doing the whole, the whole old town road thing was a stroke of brilliance. This idea of like genre bending and, you know, attacking country music from a hip hop standpoint, it's smart. And I think that he is playing them and they fall into it because he understands that at some point conservatism and this idea is going to go away and it's about progress he represents that he knows how to play it and he knows how to market it and um he's a modern he's an example of a modern artist yeah and i think that you know that comes across really well i'm just excited to see you know what he finally kind of settles down into because i think you know he's given us like old town road a huge smash hit this song, you know, is going to do very well as as well. Uh, Panini did pretty well. I don't think we've seen, you know, we're not going to see the last of him for a while. I would like to see, you know, where his music goes and what kind of genre and space he settles into because he has every other, you know, facet of music down. It'll be interesting to see if he can kind of, you know, repeat, get another hit, you know, kind of keep that moving in a way that is outside of, you know, his other his other skills and his other kind of public image uh, points. Especially since Old Town Road could have been like the one-hit wonder situation. Yeah, like... It's I, a like, perfect you know, opportunity for a one-hit wonder. So, yeah, I think he's kind of like still staving that off, right? And, and he's in this sophomore era right now where he's, you know, testing the waters with a single. Uh, Panini did, you know, fairly well, but I think he still hasn't really got another hit that is going to be, you know, the second one to the Old Town Road, you know, at this point. Like, I'm sure the sales are there, but I think in people's kind of minds, he's still the Old Town Road guy. It's hard to shake. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's a, it's a huge single. It's really hard to shake. Yeah. I mean, so moving on from, you know, up young pop upstart in Little Nas X, we're going to go into you know, one of the staples in pop music over the last 11 years. And we're going to look at Justin Bieber's album, Justice. I'd say the pop landscape has probably changed a lot since his debut in t- uh, 11 years ago in 2010. Where do you think he fits in now? I feel like he's kind of lost in it. Someone like Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran or The Weeknd have the ability to build on top of pre-existing fan bases with new music that goes in new directions. I mean, Ed Sheeran kind of does it through collaboration, which is really smart. He puts out good records, but he always shows up um, in places. Maybe he's unexpected uh, lending his talents. Taylor Swift does it by changing musical direction. The weekend does it through his music, but it's about presentation and ability to kind of work with different mediums and be dynamic and embrace the idea that you always have to be evolving. You always have to be, uh, you know, 
it's always an editing process with with popular music and how you come at it and I just don't think he's dynamic enough for that. I think he absolutely has the popularity because we've seen that. It's been obscene that he still has this fan base because last year last the year's album wasn't very fucking good. And I just don't think he he's treading on his previous popularity right now. He's not like gaining traction. So I would say that Justin Bieber, you know, is in a weird place. Uh he is a legacy pop act. He's already had a, you know, such a long career, but again, he's only what he's 27 or so. So he's, you know, towards the end of his mid twenties, he had been a star for so long. He kind of went through that period where he got in trouble a little bit. He kind of had to do that documentary to change his image. He was, you know, a young kid doing things that, you know, young kids frankly do, especially when you have millions and millions of dollars. But he's just such like a blueprint pop act that, you know, he's still trying to find his footing, I would say. And like a lot of what he's done, you know, coming up under Usher, he's played in this kind of R&B landscape. And I think that's what we saw a lot from his last year, his album last year, Changes, I believe it's called, 2020. This one seems to be a bit more front and center pop. He is, you know, hitting all the high notes here. He has brought in the right cast and the right crew to kind of get get that done. But, you know, I would probably like to see him bend a little bit and, and give us like an album like Justified, like like Justin Timberlake did, you know, towards the later half of, of his like ascendance. I would like to see like this. There, we're getting some mature themes on this album, but I would like to see a little bit more. It still feels very bubblegum. And maybe that for me is just, uh, Justin Bieber's sound and it's not my favorite sound the really bubblegum stuff yeah I, I don't know I think there's 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 more to be desired I think from from a, another album from Justin Bieber at this point yeah I think that the problem with this album which is the same problem with changes is that it's very generic there's no there's just songs it's not a thing it's not cohesive it doesn't mean anything it has just kind of random stuff spackled in there rather than like a cohesive idea. And I just think that the competition, especially in pop music is getting so heated that it would be difficult to like, I'm trying to think if there was even in the eighties, like the, the size of the artist there, whether there was this many artists who were this big, you know what I mean? Whether it's Justin Bieber, Beyonce, Rihanna, The Weeknd, I would even put Drake in there, Taylor Swift. Like these are just because of the internet now, every, every you know, being part of an audience, you, you can be part of any audience you want. And he doesn't embrace that as a, you know, as a thing that he needs to manipulate. I don't think, I think the problem is he's got a bunch of handlers and they kind of, help him construct these things but he doesn't have a vision is the big thing you have to have a vision whether it's from a media standpoint or or not or or whatever you just you have to have a bigger idea of what your career means and i think it's a really good point because i think you know realistically i was thinking like in the archetypal pop space which is like you know the kind of white pop singer there isn't he doesn't really have competition i would say i don't think there's anyone you know inhabiting that space 
uh, apart from him. And then you kind of bring the picture out a little bit and you have, you know, he's competing right now with, you know, someone like Bruno Mars, who has really refined what he does in pop music, the the eras he borrows from, the sounds he's giving you, uh, you know, the weekend's really strong in that pop space. And the weekend has a very, very strong vision, a very strong, you know, heritage of what he's kind of come from and what he's going towards. And he is just building and getting better and bigger. And Justin Bieber kind of is just there being this like bubblegum pop star of a bygone era in this new era, you know, collaborating with, you know, the right people, you know, quote unquote, but it doesn't really seem to, you know, be impactful other than for, you know, Bieber fans. I don't think like, I don't really see people talking about it um, in the, in the way that, you know, people should be for pop star of his stature. Like I think journals was that album that he gave that people kind of like, we're like, Oh, Hey, you've grown up a little bit. You have some skill, you have some talent, you have kind of found a pocket here. And I don't think he's able to return to that magic on this album. And I don't think he found that on changes. Cause I don't think, I don't see a reason why he would give us another album so quickly. You know, the albums are almost a year apart. I think you should strip down the sound to be honest with you. I think that's, I think that because with journals, like there's, Listen, I I'm I'm not I don't go to bat for Justin Bieber, but on that album there was some legitimately good tracks, you know, from an objective standpoint. And that showed growth. The problem is he showed no more growth and that it, he's more trying to do what other people are doing, experimenting with hyperpop and just, you know, creating these ethereal sounds and all this kind of stuff, but that isn't the space where he was making his best work. So the fact he's coming to it is not going to help him on a situation where he's kind of being pulled out of relevance. Yeah. And I think that um, that's pretty much it, right? Like we're seeing hyper pop, like a hundred jacks and, and all these other people like three, four, seven, eight, and whoever's doing this, this hyper pop stuff that's, you know, going really well coming from bedrooms uh, you know, whatever Billy Eilish is making, they seem to be like the critical pop darlings of today. And I don't think Bieber has found a place in that because he's not new. He, you know, has the freedom to kind of experiment with what they're doing. And I think we're hearing it on here a little bit. You know, he's brought Phineas, who's uh, Billy Osh's brother and co-writer on this album. You know, the song Somebody with Skrillex really feels like a, a hyper pop experiment for him. But nothing he's doing there in that space or, you know, in any of these spaces really feels natural to him and really feels like a sound that would work for him. So in the way that like, I think stripping down is like kind of everyone's go-to, um, you know, I think it worked really well for Taylor Swift. I don't know that, you know, that is the, the move for Justin Bieber because well, I think he, that's, he did that because he did that acoustic song. I'm trying to just remember what it is. The, why don't you love yourself or whatever. Yeah. And, and the reason why I'm saying strip it down is not, is because it's like a pop music not just a pop music it's a a music idea that is like since time immemorial you know what i mean yeah since music first came out and i think that the idea is like this is like for example uh, everyone's like well what what would nirvana be if they weren't just you know blasting things through you know overtly distorted amplifiers and smashing guitars and all this sort of stuff and then they do unplugged and everyone's like okay like these guys are for the ages 
And I think yeah. that, and Bruce Springsteen with Nebraska and Taylor Swift with Folklore, he's a talented, like, he has talent. I mean, he was discovered because he had talent. He can play all these different instruments and all this different stuff, but you're not going to, like, that's what you should be seeing. Because at the end of the day, he needs to make an artistic breakthrough again. And if he's not making an artistic breakthrough at this point, He's going to fade into not obscurity, but he's going to be just B level when before like his tours were just like sold out across the board. So like that's why because I don't think I don't look at stripping a sound down as a, you know, as a musical ploy, if you will. I think it's at the end of the day, the way to see the unvarnished artist. And the problem is this fucker is over varnished right now. Like, this album is, I don't even know what to make of it. It's just glossy without substance. You know what I mean? Like, you mentioned Billie Eilish. So, like, he's trying to follow in someone like her's wake, you know, especially given that his last album wasn't any, you know, wasn't able to strike any tangible chords with audiences. But someone like her, like, the amount of artistic control she has, she transcends this idea of hyperpop. She's getting props from all these different people, like fucking Dave Grohl you know, mentioning Nirvana, you know what I mean? Like, he's, like, she makes all these videos, like, she has an idea, and people are, they're kind of really into seeing what her vision is, but, so, it's gonna be a matter of, like, does she put out that certified classic? That's to be seen, but in terms of, like, controlling the media and being an artist of the moment, she is, he is not. Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like, did did you listen to his album changes from last year? Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, yes, it's objectively terrible. Uh, so I did not listen to that album. I think I maybe heard it once. I'm jealous. Like, I, I think, you know, that album was way more R&B leaning, a little bit more hip hop inspired. This album feels like a response to that album where it's like, okay, the hip hop kind of R&B stuff didn't really work here. I'm going to give you a pop album, you know, glossy, like you said, a lot of polish on it. And, you know, see if this kind of, you know, works and see if this is more my niche. Uh, he, you know, brought out Skrillex on a lot of these tracks. You know, it's really big. It's really bright. It's really poppy. Uh, Andrew Watt, who we talked about in the Grammys episode, who, you know, won Best Producer for Non-Classicals, you know, handling the other majority of this of this production. Like, I, like that's the thing to me where I, I kind of agree in terms of like stripping things down, not as a musical ploy. But I just don't think there's that much there. Like, I think, you know, you've kind of hinted at it before. I don't think he has that much, if anything, to say. So I think he's giving I think that's I think that's point. a good counterpoint to what I was saying. Because I don't think he has anything to say. I think he could do it from a musical standpoint. But it's like, I don't think he's thoughtful about the world he lives in and the world he inhabits. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that comes across really clearly on this album. I think at this point, what I would want from another Justin Bieber album is let's switch up the songwriters, let's switch up the producers, bring in, like, I don't know, Ralph Al Sadiq, bring in, you know, get Frank Ocean back writing with him, you know, bring in some, some people who kind of really study the craft of music, really know how to make music, can write for other people really well, and write him a better album that sounds like he should sound today and that from then he can kind of take that style and, and run with it you know bring in some of his his usher influences bring in some like bring in pharrell bring in the neptunes like let's do justified part two 
that's what you know justice should be it should be justified but it's not and it doesn't really come close and it's really pale in comparison yeah and i mean andrew watt i feel like andrew watt this is like a corporate gig for him and he just gave him the standard andrew watt package you know what i mean like there isn't like this isn't it's well produced but it's not listen if you it's not sheen like jack antonoff which we're going to get into jack antonoff has a whole other thing that is sheen and like this i mean i'm not big on skrillex as a producer as it is or an artist but i mean andrew watt has legitimately has a massive cv and a really good one and this which is diverse but i just don't like this didn't you know this has no personality it's got i would it's almost like from him i want to see some imperfection yeah yeah and i think that's what they've kind of exercised out of justin bieber is his imperfections you know they had that whole run with the law or whatever was going on drugs and stuff like that and they've kind of sanitized that out of him and he needs some kind of imperfections some grit so what did you think of the collaborations on this album we have like the kid Leroy, who's you know an upcoming rapper pop pop star we have dominic fike on here we have Giveon, we have Daniel Caesar, we have Beam. Um, and then on the bonus track, he has all the hip-hop features, you know, below that. So we have like a little Uzi Vert feature, I believe. We got Jaden Smith. We have Quavo. We have the baby. Uh, it feels like it's much more hip-hop leaning, but it's only on the bonus, which came out, you know, a week after. Like, what's he doing here? Is he doing like stamping, you know, Dominic Fike and Giveon and Daniel Caesar? Is he trying to co-op their sound and their fans? Is he trying to, you know, stake his relevancy? Why do you think he drew for those features? Well, I think it's co-opting and the trying to, like, stake his relevancy because, like, my question would be what weight does his approval carry at the current moment, you know? So, I mean, the Daniel Caesar is probably the best of these collaborations. I mean, that was with the... He was on the Giveon. Giveon was on that track as well. Uh, yeah. He's super gifted. I mean, like, he kind of blends in. Like, he's a great person to bring into records. Because, yeah. like, he can just work so seamlessly with it. And he's talented. And, like, Giveon is talented as well. So, I mean, that kind of worked. I think that's probably the best track. I'm trying to figure out also... Uh, so, like, the regular version has, like, the guys, like... Kid Leroy, uh, Dominic Fike, Givian. But then it's the, what is this, the Triple Chuck edition? Uh, yeah, is, 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 Triple Chuck's Deluxe. Tri- triple Chuck Deluxe is the one where all the hip-hop artists are on, like Lil Uzi Vert. Yeah. Right? So Relegated I'm j- to... That's what I'm saying. And, these are the, and Lil Uzi Vert, like, I didn't like the album he released last year. That's fine. I'm not a big fan of him. That doesn't mean he's without talent. I just, not my cup of tea. Uh like his that track sucks and i know for a fact that his record his albums are like they're objectively good whether or not i like them or not like he's a, an artist on the rise as well uh so why is he on this like this this triple fuck edition and not like on it like benny blanco same idea you know what i mean like i don't like i don't get why i, I would you know what i would have done flipped the fucking album and then, or taken, or put, keep the Daniel Caesar tracks, you know what I mean? But I just don't know what the point of all this is. And, like, the Chance the Rapper, I mean, he's got some bad as fuck verses. This is probably his worst. Maybe. It might be up there. It might be up there. It sounds I, like I, it should be I, on I, his last album. Yeah. 
like there's a little bit of like a world music kind of stuff going on too with like Beam who's so we like, got the Burna really Boy great. yeah uh, Beam and Burna Boy you have a little bit of that you have Skrillex kind of giving this like glossy island pop or whatever you want to call it that genre this album it has like no focus which I think can be okay for a pop album because like you know you're just trying to appeal to everybody and like no I don't think this like I think we did ourselves a disservice by listening to this album you know back to front because I don't think that's you know how they mean for this album to be consumed no albums like this consuming like that albums like this are why Napster existed in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Because right? there's like, you, four you, you, good songs on an album that are on the radio and you don't want to fucking invest in the entire damn thing. So, yeah, download it. Download those tracks. Yeah, you, you go get the hits. And, like, you know, I don't think he's, like, I would love someone to kind of come in and craft an album for him. Because, like, you look at the way when Michael Jackson was the reigning king of pop, how he had albums crafted and, you know, very thoughtful albums. I don't think anyone's doing that for Bieber. I think Bieber's putting albums out at this point to put albums out and to, you know, to tour and to keep his, his revenue come incoming to keep everyone on his team employed and, you know, to keep the, the brand rolling and merch selling and whatever else he's doing endorsement deals in. Do you think I have three last questions before we, you know, kind of leave Bieber in the dust. Do you think Austin Matthews had any input on this album? Okay. So here's the problem where I come into, like, I, I've generally thought he's kind of a piece of shit early on just because he was a little snot-nosed kid. And I know like when he was on SNL, everyone was saying he was just shit. I think Seth Rogen had some uh, doing uh, shows and stuff like that. Seth Rogen had some like thoughts on him being kind of an idiot. And uh, I hold Seth Rogen's uh, opinion in fairly high regard. Uh, But he's a Leafs fan. He's from fucking Stratford, Ontario. He bangs it to the Leafs. There's pictures of him, the lovely Haley Baldwin, uh, watching Leafs games. And you know what? That's the quickest way to endear to me because uh, if you're a Leafs fan, that means there's a certain amount of uh, tangible suffering that you've been willing to put yourself through. And it's like a shared experience. However, Austin Matthews, um, I'm trying to get a beat on what Austin Matthews' musical style is. My thoughts, he probably He's listens to like, out in the he, studio with him, though, which is like surprising to me. It's like, it's cool because like, I don't know, yeah. I feel like it's, like, cool, like, culture re- relevancy stuff and, like, I don't know, more Leafs fans, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm fine with it because if it helps Austin Matthews sign another contract for not a significant amount of money, which is uh, just a pipe dream, uh, then that's fine. But, uh, you know, I'm not prepared to like his music because of it, but um, I'm hoping that Austin Matthews uh, was not wasting his... Uh, goal scoring prowess or diverting energy into this because or maybe this is just kind of a um a proof that austin matthews is suited to play hockey and not being a recording artist i mean if i can hear austin matthews on the third album on a bonus track i would not be mad i don't know what he's gonna be doing on what's there, he doing though is he rapping all, is he playing auxiliary it. percussion triangle I don't know. Maybe like sample like a, a goal and put that on an album or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with, I'm samples of a four it. goal performance from the auto against the Ottawa Senators in his first game. Yeah, like that's that's what should should have been on here. Um, so March 18th, Rolling Stone reported that French band Justice had issued a cease and desist letter to Bieber over the album, citing trademark infringement infringement over the cross logo on the cover. Do you think that they have a case? 
I mean, I like Justice a lot more than I like Justin Bieber. Justice is legitimately good. I mean, I I don't bang tons of their music, but they're 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 quite good. Uh, sure. I don't know. I I like. It. Yes, I'd like to see Justin Bieber told he can't have something. Boom. That I think I I'd be here for that too. I'm here for that. And lastly, we've all been thinking of it. it why did he sample Martin Luther King? Junior on this album, on the album's opening, and why is there a Martin Luther King interlude in the middle of the Justin Bieber album? Okay, well, first of all, just so we know, on the next Ed Sheeran album, there's going to be actually uh, tracks of Medgar Evers uh, speaking. It's going to be uh, crazy. Uh, like, this album has nothing to do with fighting the power or inciting racial harmony. Uh, okay, so I hate the term virtue signaling because for me, it's like a conservative way of like not being like saying that to like they're like oh that's right you're like oh that's racist when it clearly isn't like that's virtue signaling i'm like no you're just racist and you don't like the fact that someone's fucking pointing it out this is virtue signaling because there's no point to it it has no point the whole album like people are going to be like yo uh yeah, but he's just trying to, you know, it's about it's called justice. No, there is no point to this. This guy doesn't have thoughts about civil rights or whatnot you know what it made me think of the black justin bieber episode of fucking atlanta and like that's what it made me think about because i'm like yes now i know yes this is what donald glover is talking about funny enough on on that episode the album that black justin bieber makes is called justice as well oh my god i didn't even realize that first of all that episode my insides hurt from fucking laughing so uh, great. it's so on point and um yeah that's that that's all it reminds me like like okay obviously i'm not disagreeing i feel like it's one of those things where he put it on and if people talk shit be like what you don't like martin luther king it's like no asshole i like martin luther king but he's not at the beginning of all my podcasts you know what i mean like there's a reason we have to talk about it like if you're talking about martin luther king if you're talking about racism if you're making a shitty pop album like if i was the family of martin luther king i'd be really upset not because he used it but because he used it on a terrible album like throw it on folklore even that would that would be better how about that it's uh, I, i'm i was just like what the fuck is this yeah like i i just have no idea like you know when he like who was in the studio that said you know what this album needs martin luther king at the beginning it seems very condescending it's irrelevant it seems like he was like you know trying to call back to what happened in the summer but not in no meaningful way but not um, talk about it at all in his music yeah like i don't i don't understand why he did that yeah i probably don't even want to talk about this album anymore i'm getting kind no. of tired of it where it's do you whack. think it where does it land on your cog rating scale before uh, you leave it behind probably like a 1.5 or a 2 just because he was able to get some you know some good people on it it just is not good it's it's objectively terrible uh i think i'm going to come in a little bit more gracious to the album i think there are some high points on it there's a song with justin bieber is really good i like the inclusion of burner boy i like the inclusion of beam um these are people i'd like to see become stars so i'll give it probably a 3.5 and that is for you're getting soft in your old age man it's it's a cog for it's a cog for every song i liked on the album so you are just man i remember when you were tough uh so let's let's jump to another pop act someone else who's been in the game a long time they're on their seventh studio album i'm talking about lana del rey and her new album chemtrails over the country club it's her seventh studio album Comes two years on the heels of Norman fucking Rockwell. 
What do we think about this album? It's one of her best. I think the only issue with it is that it has to be judged against Norman fucking Rockwell, which was her last album, uh, which I think is unequivocally her best album. Uh, she goes in a different direction here, exploring more of like a country influence, diving into another side of America, you know, Americana front to back. It's incredible. There's some really great songs. There's some really great vocal harmonies. It's just a really good follow up to what would be a tough album to follow up because everyone loved that album so much. And it was just such a, you know, such a statement. So to hear this from her, like when we talk about Justin Bieber never growing as an artist, Lana Del Rey is the opposite, which I'm sure we'll get more into. Yeah. I thought the album was, was good. I thought it was okay. Actually. It wasn't really my favorite Lana Del Rey album. I'm a big fan of hers. You know, Norman fucking Rockwell. I really enjoyed. Do you agree that that is her best album, Norman Norman fucking Rockwell? That's a good question because I'm very attached to her early work. Like Ultraviolence? Ultraviolence, that's kind of like the middle of her career to me. I would say like, you know, Born Born to Die is probably Mm -hmm. my favorite project by her. That's a good one. And then I'd probably go with Norman Rockwell. And yeah, this to me, Ultraviolence, yeah, I think is probably, you know, top three for me so this to me doesn't really make the three um out of seven albums i would think that like to me i think this album sounded like more of the same from her like it just seems like she kind of like is still on the americana thing which i love you know that's kind of her brand but she shifted perspective from like an east coast thing to this very la everything's about california on this album i get the influences it didn't move me in the same way as her past work, but there is some really strong uh, points on this. Really? I, this one really kind of hit me. I enjoy, I mean, Norman fucking Rockwell for me, I, as I said, I think it's my favorite by her. I enjoy Born to Die, but this one I just kind of really enjoy. I also enjoy the the Jack Antonoff production. I can't, I must say. Yes, I think it's very clear to listeners that you are a Jan- Jack Antonoff yeah, fan. I'm like, so, I'm a, I'd say Stan. I mean, I think he keeps la- leaving these Jack Antonoff fucking thirst traps all over the place, and I just keep like fucking picking them up. So let's let's get into that a little bit. So he's the main producer on this album. You know, they first connected on 2019's Norman Rockwell. You know, where does where does this fit in after his uh, extensive work with Taylor Swift over the last year? How do we feel about Lana's work in comparison? Is it better? Does it compare? You know, should they even be in the same sentence? Yeah. Okay. So I, she has talked about when this was at, that it was done last year, more like mid to later, like fall ish last year. But then there was this thing with the pressings and they couldn't do it and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I believe that necessarily. So it really depends for me uh, from a, you know, a temporal standpoint where, it kind of came in with it. I think that there's a huge similarities between this and folklore, which is probably why I like it a lot. Um, I was thinking that this is, you know, it's a little bit more stripped down. I think the, the Norman fucking Rockwell is a little bit more lush on the instrumental standpoint. Um, you really hear Jack Antonoff's producing style in the vocal mixing and layering, uh, layering, uh, which is kind of what draws it to me. Like he takes more, of the powerful vocal moments and add these like wispy ethereal elements behind them that kind of like slip into the back of the headphones when you're listening to it, you know, multiple part tonal harmonies to this, to these big swelling sounds that pull, you know, pull at your heartstrings. 
it's Jack Antonoff is really emotionally manipulative, I would say. And like, I fall for it. I love it. And moments of this gave me chills. But there are like a song like Wild at Heart. And we're going to get into what songs we like. That could like sounds to me like it could have been on Folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the first time I heard Folklore 2, I heard a lot of Lana Del Rey's influence on that album. So to hear this, you know, after sitting with that album for a long time, it maybe changed my perspective on this album a little bit. I think this album, you know, feels kind of like a backburning album uh, for parts of it. Like it's a little bit like less in your face um, than Norman Rockwell. Uh, Lana Del Rey has always like stood out to me in her songwriting abilities. I love, you know, the what she kind of like paints, you know, lyrically. That has always been her very strong kind of portion. So on this album, I think that though all those elements are there, but it just feels very background music to me. Like it's something that, you know, I'm going to continue to listen to, but it doesn't seem to demand my attention that much. Yeah, I think I enjoyed its more laid back nature. I like it for different reasons than Norman, uh, Norman fucking Rockwell, which I mean, was a little bit more heavy sonically. And in your face, I don't necessarily mean that from like a distorted guitar point of view, but you know, it's very percussive, the pianos, and I really kind of enjoyed that album. I think that maybe really explore her earlier work a little bit more. Because I had I obviously had heard Ultraviolence. Born to Die is the one I had most experience with, but it made me really kind of like listen to it with different ears. So I mean, it's tough because you want an album to kind of grab you, you know, by the collar and such. But sometimes I need that low key thing that's on in the room and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, you're doing something where you're working, but then like these vocal harmonies come in and it just catches your attention and like you have to listen to it because it's just so pretty. And I think that that is how I would describe this album. It's very pretty. It's very beautiful. And I like what she did with it. I like what she did with like collaborations and stuff on it too. I thought it was very tactfully executed. So what's, what songs did you like best on the project? Like, you know, you're kind of going over the whole thing. What's, what stood out to you the most, you know, what are you going to come back to? Uh, Wild at heart. I really, really enjoyed this is, you know, that's really kind of where you hear the Jack Antonoff, vocal area. I mean, it's all over the place, but this is kind of where it is. Uh, breaking up slowly with Nikki Lane and like uh, the closer for free uh, with Zella Day and Way is Blood. Like these I really, really enjoyed because they were v- like, it's it really allows the vocals to do all the heavy lifting. It doesn't like not so much with like big swelling, like for example, a song like Wild at Heart. It's just they're really done. They're a lot more low-key. They're a lot more laid back. You're dipping into, like, the alternative pop style, especially with artists like um, like Way is Blood, who's, who emb- really embraced that style. And I thought that was really great. And I liked how it worked with this. I liked that it was... It had a little bit more of an intimate feeling than Norman fucking Rockwell. I, I like those moments with artists, though. I like when you it's kind of just feels like you're with them or you're with the musicians right rather than you know these big grand grand statements like sometimes my brain doesn't always want that yeah i think that makes sense right because it's like you don't always need 
that thing that's going to be like in your face. And sometimes you, it's just good to have something calm. Like this music feels very ethereal to me. I loved, you know, White Dress was a great opening for me. That's a great Uh, track. Chemtrails of the Country Club, like the, the song's title, the album's title, and Tulsa Jesus Freak. I think those best connected with me. And then, you know, for free, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. So having that Joni Mitchell cover on there was really, really nice. And I think that is a really good lane for Lana and to kind of mirror that because that's a lot of what she's playing into this idea. So to have her cover something from that time period, I think really, really fits the bill. So would you say that, you know, this album, you know, shows growth from Lana as an artist? Yeah, I think it shows that she's not afraid to deviate from sounds that are 100% proven. Because when she put out Born to Die and even Ultraviolence, like she could have made those albums over and over again. So she like Born to Die because that really kind of came I would, out. I would be here for that. You keep keep making it. I will consume it. Yeah. Like making Born to Die over and over again would be sick. But I yeah. like I like that. I like how she is cool. She maintains her sound with experimentation without without losing everything, but also not staying the same if if that makes any fucking sense at all where she's able to kind of like do departures like norman fucking rockwell sounds different from other for uh, other stuff at least to me it does sounds a lot different than something like and i love that they covered sublime on it you know like like she covered sublime i love that she went there and i think that for her it's funny because when I remember my first, I, at first I was totally not on the, the Lana Del Rey train because she had that like Hall of Shame performance on SNL. And I'm like, this reeks of an artist that has been like, cre-, and a lot of people were saying this in the music press too, that she reeks of an artist who was created by a label, right? Like, I can't, yeah. I can't remember if she was on Interscope at the time. Like, is she some like manifestation of Jimmy Iovine's fucking imagination or something? I don't know. But as she started moving on and creating more music and gradually, um, you know, gradually ch- changing with the times and evolving and experimenting with new sounds, switching producers, because I think Jack Antonoff was only, I think he only did Norman fucking Rockwell. Yeah, and that's this? where that's where they they came on. So yeah, this 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 is the second project from the two of them. Yeah, so there was a big change in just how she was, you know, how she was working. Because I know that like she was working with people like Dan Auerbach, I think Andrew Watt as well. So great producers, Dan Auerbach. I mean, I go to bad for, but I just like that she doesn't stay the same, like the opposite of what Justin Bieber does. Yeah, no, I, and I think I wanted to bring that into it, too, because, like, you know, when you say, like, an, an idea of Jimmy Iovine when she's, you know, coming off of uh, Interscope Records, it's interesting because that is the other side of the coin from someone like Justin Bieber, where it's like, you have these people who the, the labels bring you who, you know, are very well thought out and very, um, you know, focused and they have a story and they have a vision, but it's, like, completely and all, all, totally artificial, um, and you can kind of tell when artists come out like that because, you know, their story is, you know, very tight and there's not like any room for uh, experimentation in that. Um, whereas you have like a Justin Bieber who, you know, doesn't really have that, but, you know, is going to keep giving you albums with no story and no vision. So, you know, finding out that, you know, Lana Del Rey is a much bigger artist, you know, she went from working with Jeff Basker on Born to Die 
to you know shifting her sound and before landing on this you know very i think very fitting jack antonoff produced sound so i'm excited to see what's next for her and you know in the pop landscape she still is somehow you know fairly unique even though i think that her and taylor swift have more in common than than they did you know when taylor swift first started and when born to die came out it's funny because she's like bizarro taylor swift she's like the anti-taylor swift but they have so many especially the way taylor swift is moving now in with her music i don't know if it's gonna stay i mean like if you look at her past she tends to jump around so but there she's just i mean we're gonna i I mean i mean we're gonna talk about the public outbursts because that kind of dovetails into what i'm saying with this because like i think lana del rey does some like dumb shit and she gets like the media eye of sauron fixated on her and once that's on you like it stays on you uh because that's the media culture we live in you know Taylor Swift is America's sweetheart and Lana Del Rey is like a little, a little bit more edgy, you know? Um, She's like the, the redheaded stepchild or, you know, of of that America. Exactly. So like being pro Taylor Swift carries more benefits than not, especially access because Taylor Swift will cut you off. She is not without her vengeance. Um, If she, if you are being a fucking dickhead uh, in her perception, Lana Del Rey is an easier target. So yeah, it, I would yeah. think I would think like a much easier target. Like, wh- what do we think about her outbursts? And like, do you think they had have they impacted her career at all? Really? Like, I don't because I I would almost say that like she kind of does them and she's kind of known for them, but like I don't think it's really changed her trajectory at all. Like, uh, I think it's because she puts really good music out, right? Look at Kanye when he's not put good music out. Everyone's like, "Fuck Jesus is King" and "Fuck Kanye West." Like, you know what I mean? Like, his outbursts with the whole running for president are on the tail of a not good, not good album. So, yeah. you know, like, like, so, I mean, it remains to be seen what happens when she puts out bad music. I mean, she says dumb stuff sometimes. I'm not a shut up and dribble guy. I think every artist and person with the platform should speak their mind. Well, I think anybody, period, should speak their mind. Uh, but, you know, like... I think when we were talking about this before, you know, the anticipated albums for this year, we we wondered if that would loom large, and it hasn't because uh, this is doing very well critically, and this is um, it's doing well from you know a chart standpoint too. I mean, she's not a debut at number one type artist, but she's really fucking good, and she's kind of up. She's uh, transcended some of the dumb stuff she said. I also don't think she necessarily articulates herself properly either which is a bad combination to have. Yeah, I would say she's like definitely not the most articulate person, um especially when it comes to responding to other things going on in pop culture. But I would say she's like definitely the prototype pop artist who can craft an album. And I don't think that there are too many people like her in that realm who can, you know, give you an album from front to back, you know, have it tell a story, be consistent as a pop star. And I think that's becoming, you know, more and more rare. And also to be a pop star that has a playground that, you know, she kind of exclusively inhabits. Hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing from Taylor Swift is she's kind of leaning into that playground a little bit or trying to find her own um, Mm -hmm. boring um, in, in ways. So I think, you know, as pop music 
bros and wanes and you know there's different levels and different you know genres and subgenres within pop i think we'll see people kind of positioning themselves like lana del rey in that they're going to want to have a legacy at this point and they're going to want to be able to you know dip into that kind of vision and be consistent with it and i think that you know maybe and i could be you know way out on limb here i think that's kind of what billy eilish is going to um you know fall into yeah, especially once you get some more life experience, because like there is a certain amount of it's this weird romanticism with Lana Del Rey, but also this like very evident pessimism and sarcasm. So yes, that comes from you know a bunch of relationships going bad, you know people saying shit about you in the press and all this kind of stuff. Billie Eilish right now is still kind of you know a darling, and we'll see how that continues. She's talented. I hope she doesn't have to go through a bunch of bullshit, but I believe it's inevitable because you're seeing a person grow up in front of you. And like, I can't even fucking imagine what that's like. No, definitely not. I mean, so with Alana and her outrageous outbursts, is her most egregious act being featured in the 2020 documentary End of a Storm by Liverpool Football Club? First off, fuck Jerry and the Peacemakers. They are the ones who, I believe, wrote that terrible fucking song. Um, I think it would have been better if she covered I Am The One by the Stone Roses. Uh, It's a better cover. Represents a better team. Uh, I think, at the end of the day, anything associated with Liverpool Liverpool Football Club is junk. And um, I think that if you're into that, then that's fine. I'm not into that. And I think that it really shows a lack of taste and um, just sensitivity to humanity on her part. I think, I I mean, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, She has come out, unfortunately, and said that she is a Liverpool fan. She's been seen at their matches. She should probably discontinue this behavior. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's all I really have to say on on that club. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tom York's a United fan, and Radiohead's better, so whatever. Uh, Yes. So she's she's gearing up to put her album Rock Candy Sweet out June first, twenty twenty one. Do you think we'll see that album? Yes or no? I don't know how many times she can have a delayed album because of things out of her control. Uh, I know that she said recently that this was going to be like a vengeance album that she remembers all the things said to her in the press. Uh, about her in the press sorry and you know just all this stuff in regards to the dumb things she says so i'm interested in that what that means i don't know if that's gonna be a great idea because she's not talking about the media right now and she's last two albums are fucking fantastic so i i I think it'll probably come out but it depends if the pressings are held back or whatever the fuck it was last time i don't know I don't think we need two albums out for, from her in under four months. Uh, I like the frequency of what she puts out albums. I think there's a lot of thought that goes into it. I would hope that she, you know, kind of rides off this album for a little bit and gives it some space and some breathing room. I don't want to feel need another album. I don't want to feel like you 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 got a hard drive of music somewhere and you're like ah fuck it let's put it out. Yeah, that's, that's not what I want from Lana, and I think that she's been very good at not doing that. So I'm this hoping is kind it doesn't come out. This is kind of why I'm like, what is the real deal with the delay on this album? Was it actually just the pressing situation or was it not ready? And I'm wondering where if, okay, let's say this song comes out on June 1st. First of all, when were the songs written for the last album? 
right? Were these done in the same session? Because that's what it is. I mean, this has been done f- since pop music f- and like rock music, because like that's how like a band like Led Zeppelin will crank out like two or three albums in a matter of like nine months. You know, like at the beginning of their career, when they did one and two in the first year, they did one, two, three, and four within like a- almost two years, uh, because they just had these they because they, they had a log jam of music from the sessions the sessions go well you start putting it together whatever i don't know if that is this the case i hope it's not but we'll see i'm the same with the release schedule i think an album every two years is fucking fantastic so where are you where are you gonna put this album on our patented cog rating system how what are you gonna give it kyle patented cog rating system i have this as an eight it was fantastic yeah, and I think I'm going to follow you on that. I have a 7.5. I think this is a really strong album from, from Lana Del Rey. I will definitely be coming back to it. And I think with more time, it'll probably grow on me. I think I was looking for something a little bit more uh, to the pace of Norman Rockwell or a little bit more high speed. And I think this was a little bit mellow for, for my taste at this time. I'll take that Jack Antonov mellow anytime. I'll just like spoon feed that. Well, on that note of spoon feeding, I'm going to let you get out of here. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, of course. And I will look forward to being back with you soon and doing this all over again. Thanks for listening, guys.